0: Um so Derek Redmond was a a young British runner. Um, he became very famous as he shattered the country's 400 meter record uh, when he was only 19 years old. And so he had this great career ahead of him um, until he had an injury in his what is all right, until he had an injury in his Achilles heel. And, uh, in, and in this injury, it, it, it knocked him out of the upcoming 1988 Olympic Games. And so he was devastated, of course, and went through uh, five, five different surgeries to, to try to regain his stride and, and was able to rebuild his strength and, and, and get back and, and went to the 1992 Olympics uh, in Barcelona. Um, and this medal was just calling his name, right? He, he was ready for this. Uh, this is what he had been working towards. He had been delayed once, but, but now here he was back on track. And so on the day of the 400-meter semifinal race, there were 65,000 fans out in the sta- stands. And high up in the stands was Derek's father, Jim, who had been to all of his races, a faithful supporter of his competitions. And the shot fires, the race begins, Derek breaks through the pack to seize the lead, and things are going well. And he's headed down the back stretch, the last 175 meters from the finish line, and, and he's certain to win and qualify to go into the Olympic finals. But then Derek hears a pop, and this pop is his hamstring, and he drops to the ground. He is not running any further. He hops on one knee, or on one leg, then he kneels to the ground in pain, holding his hamstring, and his leg is quivering. The, the medical personnel rush out to the track toward him. And then he lays to the ground, just holding his hamstring. About that same time, there is a commotion up in the stands where, where Jim, his dad, is, is seeing his son in trouble. He races down from the stands. Of course, there's 65,000 people that he is, is pushing his way through. He's, he's pushing his way through crowds, pushing his way through security to get to the track. He has no credential, no pass that will allow him onto the track, but he is not deterred. He will help his son get up. He's absolutely single-minded about this, and it isn't going to, he's not going to be stopped by anyone. So down on the track, Derek realizes that his Olympic dreams are gone. The other runners have long since passed him and crossed the finish line. He's there alone. Everybody has passed by this lonely figure on the track, and tears pour down his face as he sees everything gone. A stretcher arrives with medical personnel, and he, he pushes them away and tells them, no, there is no way that I am leaving this track on a stretcher. I'm going to finish my race. And so he lifts himself up, and he starts hobbling down the track, not off of the track, but toward the finish line, continuing to make progress slowly and painfully. And the crowd realizes what happens. The crowd realizes that he's not leaving the track. He's not leaving injured. He's not being carried off. He is actually trying to finish this race. And so the crowd begins to cheer. He is in last place by a long shot. But they cheer, and the crowd stands to their feet. And and the, the cries grow louder and louder and louder. And at that moment, Jim Redmond reaches the bottom of the stands vaults over the railing and dodges a security guard and runs out to his son pushing the security guards out of his way and so he yells back at the guards chasing them that's my son out there and i'm going to help him jim reaches his son at the final curve about 120 meters out from the finish line and he he wraps his arm around him wraps his arm around his waist and tells him we'll finish Together. And so together, arm in arm, they hobble their way down as sixty-five thousand people cheer them on, clapping and crying. And just a few steps from the end, Jim releases the grip from his son. And Derek crosses the finish line by himself. Now this is an incredible image. A modern day parable of sorts that tells us this this story about a father and a son. And we can make lots of connections here. All of us have different memories that have, have come up that, that are, are creating kind of an emotional response. Maybe it has to do with, with the relationship that you have or don't have with your father or a relationship with a son or, or other things that you've had in your life. But, but just hearing the story of a, of a father running down onto the track to help his son finish well, to finish the race, even in the midst, in the midst of tripping and falling Hurting and injury, things not going as planned, dreams shattered, bodies shattered, but still finishing anyway. And so we can look at this relationship between God, the Father, and Son, and this relationship that God has with Jesus, this close connection. In John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This connection between Jesus and the Father, inseparable. Father and Son bound together, approaching the finish line. Approaching the cross. Approaching Jesus' death. Of course, we can look at the story and then think about that Easter Sunday. Where all hope seemed to be lost. Jesus had fallen and was dead. Jesus was done. Jesus was buried in the tomb. All hope was lost. All hope is gone. The race is over prematurely. Or so it appears, until the father comes running out of the stands and defeats death and rescues his son. Or maybe we can think of the image of the good shepherd who will leave the 99 behind to go, fi- fa- go and find the one that has fallen, the one that's in danger, the one that is in need, a good shepherd leaving the stands to get to the son that is lost or in need or the story of the prodigal son who's running the race and falls flat on his face. The race is over. It is finished. But a father comes running to him and picks him up and carries him to the finish line. We can see these images. We can also look at the disciples. And our, pri- our primary scripture for this morning is going to be in John chapter 14, if you want to be turning there. John 14, starting in verse 15. And this is a section um, of, of, of the Gospel of John known as the Farewell Discourse or the Last Supper Discourse. It's, it's, it runs from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. And it's through these five chapters that Jesus is giving these final instructions, giving these final encouragements, giving these final words to his disciple. It's the night before he is crucified. And there's this primary theme that runs through these five chapters in these speeches where Jesus is is going to be returning to the Father. He's he's telling them this, that Jesus will return to the Father, and and that's going to mean a lot of different things for the disciples. He's leaving them behind. Now remember that since Easter we've been in this series looking at how our relationship with God and others grows closer because of the resurrection. Remember on that first Easter morning Mary discovers the empty tomb and as she returns to the tomb and encounters the risen Christ he tells her that he's going back to his father. And in going back to his father, the relationship that they have with Jesus is going to change. The relationship will no longer be a physical relationship, but it will be a spiritual relationship. And of course, this just does not make any sense to them. It is a surprise, and it should not be a surprise, because they've been told all of this in the previous chapters. But because they're now seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, they're paying attention That now something has has changed. Their relationship with God changes. Their relationship with Jesus changes. And they're given this mission to be witnesses of the resurrection. To share this story. To tell this story to others. And in this mission, their relationship with others now changes. That they have a different purpose. Because of the resurrected Christ. And this should not have been a surprise. He's been telling them this, and this is in part what he's talking about in chapter 14. So let's look at John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Whoever has my commands and, and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And so here we have the disciples they're they're gathered together in this final meal together in this this farewell discourse they've been with Jesus for the last 3 years of ministry and now he's saying this is coming to an end he's talking about his own death in a way that the disciples really don't understand they don't comprehend what he's talking about but they see that the end is coming they've they've got to be feeling this sense of tension this sense of anxiety Imagine that you, you, you know this, this last day is coming. And you've been with Jesus through this time, and now he's talking about it changing. That he's leaving. And Jesus knows that they're feeling this tension. Jesus knows that they're feeling this anxiety, and he's trying to provide them with some sort of comfort. To try to provide them with some sort of encouragement. A, a vision for what the future will be like with him not being present. At least not physically present. But he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. You won't be left by yourselves to finish by yourselves. He says, "I'm, I'm coming to you. But in the form of an advocate to help. In the form of the Spirit. These are great words of encouragement, even though they're not encouraged by them yet. That the relationship is changing, and Jesus is is leaving, and Jesus is going to be crucified. But you won't be left alone. You're not left on the track to finish the race by yourself. And you're certainly not left on the track, disqualified, injured, injured. And on your own, ending before the race is over. And so we look at the disciples. We look at the race that they've been running. We look at the the ministry that they've been walking through. The the time of of training and teaching that they've been walking through with Jesus. And they've been called into action. They've, They've been called into this race. But Jesus was there with them as they were doing this. Jesus was physically present with them. Never would they have to do it without him. And so, yes, they had the faith to run, the faith to to follow Jesus, but, but Jesus was very much physically present. They were never alone in this ministry. Never alone in this calling, Jesus was always there, and, and the very physicality of Jesus had been a source of their strength, a source of their reassurance of who they were. Their, their identity was, was wrapped around in the presence of Jesus and his, his miracles and His teaching and his leadership. It wasn't It, it, it's, it, it was enough to keep them going through. Challenges, through difficulties, through attacks and through questions of who Jesus was. His physical presence gave them strength. And now he's talking about dropping out of that, going away, leaving them on their own. And suddenly, this just got a lot harder. What is it that they're being called into now that Jesus is not going to be with them? It's unthinkable. They're they're probably working on updating their resume right now. Thinking, maybe I need to go back to the fish. Go back to the boats. Go back to the previous line of work because this thing, I'm just done with this thing. If Jesus isn't going to be here, then what am I going to be doing? What have the last three years been all about? If he's going away... But Jesus says that even after his death, he will still be with them. You can understand how they're puzzled, right? As we look back and put ourselves in the place of the disciples, this does not make any sense. I'm leaving, but I'm not really leaving. Who says that? As, as Laura and I leave our kids with a babysitter, sometimes that is a very easy process, it was not an easy process this morning as Annabeth is in the hall crying and bawling because Laura cannot leave mama don't leave me. You'll be okay. <laughs> there are people here that love you that will take care of you and we will come back and we're just across the hall. And it's it's this weird mix where we we look the, the disciples are looking at Jesus and and he's saying I'm leaving. They're like, no, don't leave us. Don't leave us by ourselves. he He says, no, I'm not really fully leaving. You'll be taken care of. You'll be watched over. You will be comforted. You will be cared for. Jesus says that even after his death, he will still be with them. He will still encourage them. He will still be pleading with them and praying for them and and teaching them. He will still be very much present, just not in the physical way that they have grown accustomed to. The nature of his presence will change. He says in, in verse 19, in a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. He'll be present with them. But in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And so they will not run this race alone. They will not have the cross. They they will not have to cross the finish line alone. They will have help across the finish line. I think many of us have been in circumstances before where we signed on to something because of who was signing on with us. Right, like We had the courage to go and do that thing because somebody else was signing up with us. I had a friend in Dallas, and we had this idea to sign up together to do a half marathon and prepare for a half marathon. Neither one of us had the courage to do it on our own, but because we signed on with somebody else, we now have the courage to do that. Can you think of other scenarios where you were either brave enough or dumb enough to go (laughs) along with something because of who was going along with you? And this is what the disciples had done with Jesus. He He had called them in to following him, called them into this dropping of your nets and following to become fishers of men. And because they were doing it together and doing this with Jesus, they had the confidence and they had the courage to actually do that. And now the one that they signed up to do it with is backing out on them. That's what it feels like. You wrote me into this, and now you're leaving. You called me into this this crazy role, this crazy ministry, this, this crazy thing called discipleship, and now you're backing out of it? And now I'm left on my own. They signed up because Jesus was the team leader. And now the team leader's gone. We signed up for this, for this life of discipleship, this following of Jesus, because we believed that God would be present in our lives. We signed up for this journey because that we believed that, we believed that God was trustworthy. We made this commitment because we believed that God was someone that we could count on. And then there are times where it seems as though God is not with us. That he has abandoned us. That he is silent. We say, what have we signed up for? We get into these moments where where God seems to be gone. That we're down on that track, running a race. We've tripped and we've fallen and we're flat on our face and we're all alone. Isolated, abandoned, and orphaned. It's a strong image. Imagining ourselves in pain, in brokenness, in woundedness, laying on an isolated, lonely track. The smell of dirt and sweat as we feel completely alone, abandoned. But Jesus says that he will never leave us. Abandoned. He will never leave us orphans. He will always be present in our lives, even when it feels like we're alone on that track. The Father is running down through the stands, shoving security guards away to get to us. To lift us up, put his arm around us, make sure that we cross the finish line. Uh, Peter Berger, in a book called A Rumor of Angels, he's a sociologist, and he, he interviews this priest that's working in the slums of a European city. And he asks this priest, why do you do this? Why do you do it? This is hard work in the, in the slums of this city why do you do it? And he answered, so that the rumor of God may not disappear completely. The rumor of God. So that that rumor, that sense of God being present, the sense of God being with us, so that that rumor is not completely gone. And so how, how are we going to react when the rumor of God is fading? When, when, when the sense of his presence, the, the stories of his great works, when that seems to be fading around us, when we have an injury on the track field, when we're, we're laying down flat, alone, are we really alone? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life with us. And because Jesus lives, the promises Jesus gives to his, father, to his followers is that you also will live. That because Jesus is alive, we are alive. The good news is that, that Jesus has conquered the power of sin and death. And the same God who raised Jesus from the dead... That same God will give life to our bodies through His Spirit. He dwells in us. And this is the promise given to us. No matter what tragedies we face, no matter the, the times that we stumble and fall, it, whether, it is, whether it's medical or emotional or vocational or academic, we hold tight to the promise that Jesus gives us the gift of life. Jesus gives us the gift of life. We are not alone. We belong to Jesus Christ and his spirit gives us life. And this is good news for any of us who find ourselves limping along toward the finish line. But the Holy Spirit is also a spirit of love. Jesus says, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved By my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The love between God and Jesus is never limited to just their relationship. The love that they have for each other overflows to us. It spills over to us and into our lives and saturates our lives. That the love that the Father has for the Son becomes the love that we receive from God. The acceptance that we have. From God. But Jesus does talk about obedience. He says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That sounds difficult, it sounds demanding. But it's important for us to remember that the commandments of Jesus all involve living a life of love. That just a few verses earlier in in, in chapter 13, Jesus says to his disciples, I give you a new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And so when we are feeling defeated, we love one another. When the medical tests come in disturbing, we love one another one another. When a family member faces a layoff, we love one another. When there's a death in the community, we love one another. When a friend has been rejected, we love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. When you love one another. And so the spirit of truth does not abandon us. The spirit Leads us, comforts us, and calls us into a life of love. Comforts us and carries us through anything that life throws at us. Anything that happens along that track. Jesus comes along beside us. Says, I'm here. And wraps his arm around us and says, we're not dropping out of the race. We're going to finish. We're going to finish together. Let's be standing together. We're going to join together in in some time of of prayer and reflection, a time for us to uh, remember the gift that Jesus is to us. That even though it appears like we're alone, even though it appears as though he has left, he has never left us. He is fully present. And so we're going to spend some time at the tables uh, for communion. Um, for those of you that are, are new here, we have uh, communion tables that are, are set up along the side of the room, and, and through this next time, you're free to move to one of those tables and, and spend some time with the bread a reminder of the body of Jesus and the cup, a reminder of the blood that was shed for us. That this was a gift given to us. And so as we spend time at the table remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, this is also a time for us to move around the room and, and encourage one another and pray for one another. And so if you need prayer, seek out one of our shepherds or, or come to me or, or, or a member of the prayer team, other people in your life groups, friends, family, uh, seek out and say just, hey, can you pray for me? I need to be reminded that Jesus has his arm wrapped around me and I am not alone. Because many of us feel really alone. And that's not true. And so let's encourage one another and lift one another up in prayer uh, through this time at the table and time in song. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that we are not alone. God, when we find ourselves in those dark and discouraging places, will you remind us of your presence? God, would you help us to remind each other of your presence? Help us to to be that for one another. Would you speak through us to encourage one another? Speak through us to challenge one another. Speak through us to remind one another that you are present. You have not abandoned us. We are not alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.